If you've never sat near the front, it's good to sit in the front sometimes. You just get to kind of hear the wash of praise over your shoulder. It's, it's good times. So one of the things that, that we talk about a lot in here and just, and just look at is this idea of what it means to be a Christian. And we kind of look at that from a lot of different angles. And we live in a culture where, you know, self-identifying as this, this, or this, kind of wearing these different labels is a really big thing. And to wear the label of Christian, it's really worth considering, what does that mean? I think I'm looking this morning at a bunch of people that would self-identify as Christians. They would call themselves a Christian. Are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. It's important to just look at what does that mean? At its very core, when you think about sort of all that it could mean, all the ways you could answer someone who says, look, I don't really understand what that means. What does it mean to be a Christian? At its very core, to be a Christian is to be a follower. Would you, would you agree with that? Do you track with that? It's the idea that, that Jesus has called you, you've said yes, and now you're just following Jesus. What happens with language is sometimes we use the term following Jesus so much, it sort of becomes cliche, and we forget, we kind of lose our brain about what, what the word follow even means. If you're following Jesus, let me say this, you are on the move. You are on the move. Your life does not remain static as a Christian. There are different parts to a story, and not all parts to a story are equal in sort of memorability and and all of that. Think about your own story, right? Your own story has some key moments in it that were really that were really powerful and you kind of go back to often. I want you to open your Bibles for a moment to Matthew chapter 4, first book of the New Testament, first of four Gospels that just look at the life of Jesus Christ. Central part of, of the Bible here, Matthew chapter 4. And I want to direct your attention here because it's really a key part of the story that the Bible is about, but it's also a key part of our story if we are Christians. And I would venture to guess, if you're an undecided in this room, that should you become a Christian one day, this will be a key part of your story. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. And it says this. It says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, talking about Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And let me just pause there. Actually, let's keep going. Um, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their, their boat and followed their, and, and, and left their boat and their father and followed him. Flip over to Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, one lone verse talks about one more calling and following. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. 
If fishing is your calling, Jesus comes and invites you to fish for men. If tax and money are your thing, Jesus invites you to follow and then he becomes your treasure. Jesus calls people from where they are and by sheer implication of the word follow, to get up and follow Jesus meant change. It meant doing something different. It meant observable action. And think about this, to follow the living God today, not a dead God, not a God that's contained in a book, not, the, not, not a God that just has laid out the principles long ago and you just live by those, but rather to follow a living God, does that not imply that we Christians are just on the move? That as we keep our eyes on Him, our own path is changing as we are following the living, moving God. Immediately, they left their note, their, their nets. They rose from, Matthew rose from the tax booth and followed. You know, every single week, um, those of us who plan the worship services are wide open and invite the Holy Spirit's direction to just say, God, we're going to make plans. We're going to work diligently all week long. We're going to expect to hear from the Holy Spirit as to what is needed in our worship gathering this weekend. But all along, we're wide open. We're going to have open hands as to what you would do with the service. We don't know how you're moving. We don't know how you're going to do things. At the bottom of the set list, every single uh, Sunday, and in fact, it used to be on there. Maybe this is an old version, but I think it's still on there. We, we just have this little asterisk at the bottom of the set list where it has down to the minute who's on for what, just so we can keep things straight. We say, you know, something along these lines, plans subject to change due to the Spirit's leading. Which means this, that all of us challenge ourselves and discipline ourselves not to just come and perform religious services. We just pray and say, God, we're your tools. We want to do what you want us to do. This last Monday, something happened that changed the course of this Sunday because just some really big news came across my plate, and we altered what we're doing. It was one of those Sundays where we just said, man, we need to take this Sunday and talk about it and celebrate this and digest this as a church family. Now, I know that has piqued your curiosity. Before I dismiss the kids, kids, I haven't forgotten you. I just wanted you in there for that part. I know some of you were wondering. I'm getting old, but I'm not that old. I want to say this. I want to say that we have, we have a phenomenal team of people who are just released into doing all sorts of ministry. Um, some of it is here at the building, but our emphasis has never been just to build up the building and the location, but to go and to be sent. And so there's just an incredible team of people that do a wide range of things. But let me say this. Uh, we have a large number of people, hear me, because... They are followers of a living God who is not just leaving them alone. We have a large number of people who are being required by God to step out of their, their posts here at NBC. And this morning, some of what I want to do is, is highlight some of that. Um, last week was evidence of this. We got to hear from Christine Barber. We got to hear from Josh Barrow. We got to hear from the Hintons. We got to hear from Michael Dolan. Hear this. They were all sitting here in this church not that long ago. God said, you're no longer going to sit on Sunday mornings and midweek community groups with this local body. I have a different assignment for you. And you know what they did? They followed. 
And we celebrate that. That's such an exciting thing. This morning, I want to just unload on you a whole nother group of people that are, that are in that same camp. All right. Now, kiddos, you are dismissed. Love hearing your voices. Love that you join us for this time. Good job. Give a hug to dad and then head off to class. The rest of you will notice there's no notes. Um, there's no handout this morning. Um, this is this is the family gathering around and hearing sort of some some updates with some things. Um, any of you today, by show of hands, um, any of you this summer take a more than two hour car ride somewhere? Let me see your hand if you did that. Okay, a lot of you. I happen to know the Adams took about how many hours total this summer? I mean, upwards. Yeah, how many? Four thousand miles. That's a lot of time in the car. Okay, and. And Chuck and his son David are still sitting next to each other in church. That's powerful stuff right there. You know, ministry is a little bit like like a road trip. You know, you get in this car and you commit and you're going somewhere. And we use this term around here a lot. If you're new, we we talk about on-ramps and off-ramps. And the whole idea that if you are in ministry, we strongly encourage. And in fact, we celebrate when people evaluate what they're doing in ministry at their local church, in their neighborhood, at their school, at their work, in their relationships, and that they, that they evaluate those periodically. Probably at least yearly, you ought to carve out time and say, God, just because I did this last year and I'm seeing fruit and, and I'm actually really fulfilled in doing this, I want to carve out time to listen to you. And there are times and seasons when people need to take an off-ramp. Let's go back to the road trip for a second. There are some people right now who are taking an off-ramp in some key ministry areas because of these kinds of reasons. You're driving along and you see the sign for the rest stop, you know, and the next rest stop is 82 miles away, right? Doesn't that begin thinking in your mind like, huh, can I wait 82 more miles? So you pull off, you get off at the rest stop. It may be that you need to stretch your legs. It may need to to answer the, 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 the potty stop that's being asked for by everyone in the car. Um, it could be that you need to refuel, right? Your car needs to be refueled. Sometimes you're on a road trip and your car needs to be repaired, right? You're hearing something in your engine, whatever else. So that's one kind of off-ramp. Let me just say this. There are several people serving diligently in our one-way ministry. One-way is code around here for children's ministry, okay? It's a little bit hipper and snazzier. So in our one-way ministry, many people who've been faithfully driving on the road and moving things forward and progressing things and serving our children, which is a large chunk of our population around this church, they have just needed an off-ramp. Some of them have already taken it. Some of them are on the verge of taking this off-ramp. And it's due to those sorts of things. It might be due to soul health. It might be due to, to a pause, a refuel, a retweaking, some of those kinds of things. But that is, is happening right, right now. For other people in our midst, though, in fact, I'm going to walk through a lot of other people in our midst. People are taking an off-ramp from visible ministry due to something else, due to a different assignment. So it could be that you're driving on your road trip, and you get a phone call that changes everything, right? If you were heading off to vacation and someone called and said, someone in your family is dying, come quick, wouldn't that change your plans? Man, man you would look for the next off-ramp to get off and change directions. Why? Because a call came through that changed your mind. 
There are people in our midst who have been serving along and moving things forward in a safe and good manner. And a call came in. They answered. And they had to get the next off-ramp off because God was sending them in a different direction than they were currently going. There's one category person like this that people often don't like to talk about or think about and certainly never ask for this assignment. But we're going to talk about them and think about them and speak to them right now. One of the assignments that comes is the most unwelcome call of pain and suffering. There are some people in our midst who were cruising along in life and in ministry and on their road trip, and they were seemingly fairly in control, like a lot of us think we're fairly in control right now. And along comes the unwanted call of pain and suffering. It could be physical pain and suffering. It could be emotional. It could be relational. It could be spiritual or some combination of those. I'm talking about trauma, really severe, ongoing things that are happening in this person's life. It could be their own or a very dear loved one that they need to alter their life to care and serve that person. Can I just let you know, because we have three services, and if you attend one service, even if you're well-connected, you may miss some of the bigger picture um, that's happening here. There are many people in our midst who have answered this call to pain and suffering. It's a call you have to pick up on. You don't really have a choice. And they are no longer invisible, ongoing ministry because of pain and suffering. Let me speak to this for a couple moments. Let me pause, first of all. One is this. Some of them won't hear this for one week because they listen on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. They used to be able to sit in here with us. But every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, they carve out time, they sit down, they have their Bible open, they have a pen ready, and it's as close as they get to being as a part of our church. So they will hear this in one week. Let me pause and say this. Those of you walking through pain, those of you enduring severe struggle that is way beyond you, we love you. We value you. Your father hasn't forgotten you. He's right there with you. Grace like water always flows to the lowest places. Our deep desire for you is that you would cling to what has always been your only hope. Your only hope is always Jesus. But in the midst of the valley, you see that more clearly than ever. So our desire as a church family, when we don't know what to say, when we haven't checked in like we should, when we awkwardly say the wrong thing, is to say this, we love you, we're here with you, it's okay that you're not serving invisible ministry right now. Hear that. We celebrate that. God's so not done with you. This is a season of refining, so hold on. Hold on to your hope. I pray that Jesus would love you through your church family. If we are doing a terrible job right now, would you graciously let us know? Let us, meaning church leadership, know. We will do what we can to change that. Let me tell you something that is 
now budgeted into next year's budget. It's going to happen before the end of the year, and that is this. We are putting plans in place right now to have live streaming um, so that someone who is not able to be here on a regular basis, and they don't even know which week they'll be here or not be here, they'll be able to participate in our worship services in a much more immersive way than to get it a week later after the fact. Is that something to celebrate? That is that is being done because that's just that's that's who's in our midst. That's part of the story that God's writing, and so we want to respond to that, and we want to allow people to engage in worship with the slides. When I teach, when Ben teaches, and others teach, we want to have the the video there so you can follow along as much like you're here um, as as possible. And so that's coming, and a team is working hard on that. So that's sort of a category of off-ramp that people don't like to talk about. It's certainly one that no one prays for. No one prays for pain and suffering. How about the others? There's another group of people, and I want to just give a quick update here. Um, there's another group of people who have received a different assignment. And again, I think you could miss the bigger picture of what God's doing here at NBC if, if, not, if not for just kind of tying in these pieces. Last November, we had a service on kind of National Orphan Care Sunday. And at that service, we had across this stage, we had several families that were just sitting on this stage. Some of you remember this. Some of you are new and weren't here for this. And the way that we celebrated, commemorated Orphan Care Sunday was on that Sunday to look at all these families who were in the midst of the journey. They had no guaranteed happy ending. They were sacrificing greatly. There was fear mixed with joy. And all these people sat up here and availed their story to the church family to both say, help, pray for us. We need to know that you're with us, church family. But also just to avail their story um, to show off a God who is calling them and, and sustaining them in the midst of some really uncertain, scary times. What I want to do this morning quickly is update you on some of those stories. At that point, it was, a, it was a trust component. There was an act of faith to say, Lord willing, there will be new individuals, new souls wandering around our church, in our church, in our children's ministry, because of the assignment that God has put on the hearts and souls of these people on stage. Let me start with the Chows. Alex and Joe Chow, as you know, they have been praying for and working hard toward adopting little Keon. Uh, Keon came into their home this last March, and he's doing amazing, and he sits in church uh, most often over on this side of the sanctuary, and, and the Chows uh, now are forced into, into kind of a zone defense because they had two boys, went man-to-man, and then they got this third little dude, and they're, and they're moving forward, and they're doing amazing. And the Chows sat right behind me on this stage. The second update is the Monzos, Daryl and Leanne, were fostering little Geo. And you probably remember seeing little Geo around. Well, this last April, uh, April 30th, uh, Geo officially became a Monzo. He became permanently in their home as an adopted child. And we just celebrate that. Right after the court appointment, um, he was able to fly back. 
visit with his birth family, and Daryl and Leanne are doing just a phenomenal job loving this little boy. Um, he started TK, Transitional Kindergarten, this week, um, and he's doing awesome. We also sat on the stage, and um, you probably get to hear about us more than others, but as many of you know, we took in two little two-year-olds uh, this last March. Everly and Tate are doing really amazing. There were a lot of health issues that we thought would be way up here. Just they, they've, God's just been gracious and generous to us. He's allowed it to be a lot less than we anticipated. We've only had to have one surgery instead of multiple surgeries on both. Neither Becky or I sleep anymore, so <laughs> literally, it gives me the best excuse to not answer your emails, texts, phone calls. <laughs> Honestly, if I say weird things up here, we are sleep-deprived, but God is sustaining. Um, he's giving us great days and faith-filled nights. <laughs> Let me give you one more update, the Shelleys, Chris and Trisha. As you may or may not know, Chris and Trisha, they have been fighting and I say fighting because it's, it's an uphill struggle. They have been fighting for eight years to adopt a little girl named Elizabeth down at Grace Children's Home where we've been going for the last ten years and allow her to become a Shelley, to have her own forever family. She was eight years old when this process began. If you're quick with math, you know she's now 16 on the phone with them last night, and this last round of trying to adopt her has been a year and a half process, and that's after a lot of work in other seasons. And um, they wanted to make sure that our church family knew that we could celebrate two things. For those of you even remotely in the know, you will know that this is a big deal. It's especially a big deal with Mexico. But their dossier, which is sort of their whole package of all the stuff that's required, is now sitting at the federal level. And that's a huge milestone that there's so much backstory to what I just said, but that's a huge marker. It's a huge progressive marker. But the second thing to celebrate is this. They said, you know, Dave, the biggest part to celebrate just as a church family, because they don't have the happy ending yet, she's still living in an orphanage down down across the border. And those of you who've been there know it's a phenomenal place. But a nanny will never be mommy, amen? There's, there's, a, there's a dad and a mom that God wrote into our DNA and our story that we all want. And he said, you know, he said the thing we can celebrate is this, that there's a little girl down there who's now 16, and she is absolutely, utterly convinced and knows in her soul that, there is, that her family is fighting for her that her family wants her, that she's wanted. And it's not just tied up in the intangibles of legal and court and fees and time and the up and down roller coaster, but in very, very tangible ways, the Shelleys have put on display their sacrificial, far-reaching love for this little girl. So if you think of it, you could pray for Elizabeth, you could pray for the Shelleys, you could pray for hours that be, and the Lord of all the powers that be, that in his timing, God would move this story forward. So those are some updates from last November. Faces and people that we were praying for, and you've had a huge part 
in giving the confidence to move forward in sometimes providing funds and sometimes providing babysitting while there's training going on and watching other biological kiddos to make these things happen. In addition, on that same exact Sunday, a brand new initiative that was being born at the time was a little organization called Foster the Bay. And Foster the Bay was launched by six churches, and we were one of the pilot churches. And Foster the Bay, in a nutshell, is this. It's the dream to say, what if every church had a child in the foster care system? That means that every church, what if every church raised up just one family who would foster a child, and then there would be four support friends that would come around that family and link arms with them and say, we are in this with you thick and thin. Do you know that if every church in Santa Clara County took this challenge up, there would be not just a line, but a massive line of hundreds of gospel-motivated qualified, ready-to-receive children waiting for foster kids as they need the foster care system. By the way, if you're unclear on this, part of, part of my role on the team with Foster the Bay is to go around to, to churches and just let them know what God's doing and if they want to be a part. What I've realized is this. Part of my presentation, I need to identify and roll out what foster care is. So here's the 10-second definition. There are people in our city who need to be removed from their biological family due to abuse, due to neglect, due to death. And foster care is that safety net. It's, it's an institution where the, the county welcomes them in and says, you now have a safe place to lay your head at night and to eat some food and be protected. And the, the goal of foster care is to move them into foster families. Why? Because God never intended babies to be raised in institutions, ever. He calls people into families. So foster care is providing that temporary care while reunification with the, with the birth family is being worked on. And sometimes that's impossible, and so that leads to foster adopt, which is where that child then becomes um, into your home permanently. Well, here's what went on last November. Last November, praise God, Cheryl Routon stepped forward as our advocate, and that's a key part of any church being a part of this. It's the person who's the Bunsen burner under this ministry. They're in contact with all the moving pieces. And as a church leadership, we said, God, can we trust you for one more family? I know you've been generous. You've, you've moved on the hearts of so many families in this church already to extend deeply and and to, and to welcome in the fatherless. And we celebrate that. But can we be so bold as to ask for one more family? And you all know how God answered that prayer. He said, no. No, we're not going to give you one more family. Four more families. Within the weeks that followed last November, raised their hands, stepped forward and said, I think God is calling me to the assignment of foster care. Man, that fired us up. It fired us up. The Jacksons, who are um, sitting here, actually stand up, Heather and Brian. You need to look at the Jacksons because the Jacksons, they were one of the families that, um, that stepped forward. You have to stay standing. Um, and... Um, well, I'm just going to let you, you guys are in this service. I'll do it next service. But um, you guys have you guys have an update that that uh, they've given me permission to share it. You need to just hear it from them. 
So just very quickly, what went on these last couple weeks and what's in store for you? Church, just show your love right now. Appreciation. Yeah. All right. Thanks, you guys. <clears throat> um, sitting right behind them, um, actually, the Collins. Just stand up for a moment, too. Um, the Collins are another family that was in that original four from this last November. And um, they, are, they are right on the cusp. They have finished um, 27 hours that's required by the county. Uh, they've, they've worked hard to fill out the paperwork. They've actually been through um, through a move this last summer. Um, when I say that it that you really rearrange your life to welcome in the fatherless, that's that's what goes on. Um, and both of these have very very clear stories of how God's been working in that, some of the challenges of that, and here they are today. So um, we anticipate in the coming weeks uh, an update from the Collins family. I want you to see their faces and put names and faces together because church, do you see that we need to be on our knees praying? We, we need to be praying for these people. We need to be reaching out. We need to be asking for them. You can imagine, um, we had our most recent uh, child was with, with um, Cass and Caleb here. And as someone gets pregnant, it's obvious, right? Um, there's that point where you don't know if you should say anything. But then it gets obvious. And you're like, no, that woman's pregnant. And we just celebrate that to no end. Let me just tell you, as you're walking through foster care and adoption, you kind of miss some of that. Some of that doesn't happen. Um, and so we've just been a church that has rallied around that, celebrated that. Um, they call it they call it adoption pregnant in sort of the adoption tra- you know uh, thing because there's all this planning and preparation just like you would for a biological birth. But anyway, see the Collins and uh, let's celebrate them as well, you guys. <clears throat> I'm not done. Uh, we we this may be a three hour service. Allie, would you stand up? Um, Allie and her husband James um, started attending here a couple of years ago. They have just a phenomenal story um, of, of restoration. We all do, um, but you've been really open with it, and I've so appreciated that, such humility to just put it out there um, uh, and say, you know, we're not, um, we're not the perfect person. And we all in our, in our internal say, yeah, neither am I. But you've been willing to share that with us. Um, James and Ali are, um, are also this close. They have gone through, um, again, same thing, all these hours of training all this work of finding, sitting for Olivia and figuring out what to do with her and extra things in midweek. It's been a long um, nine weeks, and I didn't even go through the class. Um, you guys did. But, um, but you guys also are, I mean, just this close, right? I mean, there's some final uh, application stuff happening and all of that. Give it up for Allie and James. Yeah. So you can just see how real time this is. Um, there's just there's so much happening right in our midst, and we as a church need to know some of these things. Um, some of you are astute and realize that I've left someone off, and that was the Routen family. Uh, the Routen family also was a part of this, and they were on stage and and sharing some of some of their journey. And there's we can just take a lot of time with this. There's one more person I wanted to call out because I just was celebrating, thinking about what God, what God you've done in, in these last 10 years at Neighborhood Bible Church. Ron, would you stand up for a second? And I didn't tell Ron I was doing this, but I want you to stand up for a moment as well. Um, brother, I sense that you're going to be adopting in the next year. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> let me tell you, let me just tell you, the Rose family, Ron and his wife Vivian and their, and their kids, um, they have been on the front line of local foster care for the better part of a couple of decades. Uh, when this church began, before we had our first public service, Ron was with the previous church that inhabited this building, and he respectfully came and said, look, there's a yearly 
um, Christmas party. Many of you have been to this. It's a way to serve the local fatherless, really. And um, Ron doesn't just dabble in that. He throws himself into that. But way beyond that, through the years, I have stories of getting phone calls from them, seeing, wondering who they're going to be sitting with uh, that next Sunday because they are always taking kids in. Um, A momentous thing happened in the Rose family. It was kind of the end of an era. I happened to catch it on Facebook. But they had this big brown van that many of you remember, and that big brown van got sold at some point. And that big brown van just was always filled with someone's kids, running them somewhere, doing this, doing that. Um, They have been in some trenches that involve the police, that involve some really, really tough stuff. Uh, Sort of there's an undercurrent to any major city, and and they were down in the trenches working in that. So I want to celebrate not Ron the person, not Vivian the person, but we want to say thank you to the family and celebrate God that he put that on your heart and that you've been such a forerunner in this area. So, Ron, thank you. Would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 7? You know, churches always, church leaders long to move people forward. It's not that we would just want to keep doing the same things. We long to see growth. We long to see people being made disciples of. And unlike an architect who can draw plans and then months later look and see definitively that, yes, there's a building there and move on to the next thing, discipleship is one of those more nebulous things. It's just not as clear-cut or clean to, to measure and get quantitative data that says, yes, the ball's being moved forward 10 yards at a time. But the Bible speaks about fruit, And I have you turned to Matthew 7, where Jesus is going to talk about fruit. But in another spot, in Matthew chapter 3, he's talking with some fake wannabe Christians. People who self-identify, like we talked about at the beginning, but they have no interest in following a living God. They just self-identify that way. And he calls them out and he says this, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Have you read the book of James before? James is all about this. You say you have faith, prove it. Show it. Those ought to go hand in hand. Nothing you can do will ever produce faith or will ever produce righteousness. But if you've been saved, there ought to be fruit in keeping with repentance. So Jesus was saying, now... In Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 16, here's what he says. And again, this is in the context of warning about wolves in sheep's clothing. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Catch this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You know, we say this all the time, that you can 
You can manipulate people into sponsoring a child for $30 a month. I'm not saying you should, but I think you could. To anyone with a paycheck, you could show pictures of an impoverished child and, you know, guilt or manipulate them and squeeze 30 bucks out a month. You know what you can't do? You cannot smooth talk someone into adoption. You can't trick people into foster care. That is a definitive work of the Spirit. To love sacrificially, to rearrange your home and life and heart, to welcome in the fatherless, that's a work of the Spirit. And what I want to put on display this morning is a celebration of the God of the orchard that is allowing all of this fruit to go on. I also want to call us as brothers and sisters in this church to keep watering, to keep weeding the garden, to keep harvesting the fruit, to have our eyes open and pay attention. All this celebrating of fruit is really exciting, but let me say this, the work has just begun. I mean, doesn't it make sense that all this work that it takes to get a sibling group into the Jacksons' home, it's not like we go, woohoo, finish line, the marathon's over. Holy smokes, we have a sibling group in our home now. We also have two other little kiddos, and wow. I mean, the work's just begun. Those of us who've been down the adoption train, uh, even recently, there is daily work of bonding and loving kids from some difficult places that goes on. Some of you know this intimately because you have attached yourselves to these families and said, we're with you in this. What do you need? Some of you don't even ask what's needed. You step in and help in ways that would make sense. So there's much support needed in the days ahead, the immediate days ahead. Secondly, there are big gaps that are left where these people who are sort of wading into the deep waters of helping the fatherless are leaving behind. Those ones you saw on the screen last week, those were the kinds of people that no matter where you plant them, they just bloom. And so God took them from assignments here in San Jose to somewhere else. And the people that have just been acknowledged here are all involved in ministry in some way, deeply involved. And they're not going anywhere. So it won't be as visual in our brains to say, oh, they used to do this around the church, but now they don't. Let me walk through some of the ministries that are impacted because God has had them on this road, said, hey, take the next exit, you're going this way. And they've gotten off of their current ministry. So here they are, ready? The band has been affected by Joe Chow and Ali and Rob stepping into this. One way, remember our fancy name for children's ministry? One way has been affected. The Carlsons, the Routons, the Chows, the Shelleys, the Collins family, and the Jacksons. All have been regular, deep participants in one way. And God is moving assignments for them. Those are some big holes. Every church needs a foster the bay advocate, which is a very key role. Some churches make it a staff role because it's such a big role. This last Monday, I met with the Routons. And we had a little church on the corner Starbucks in Willow Glen. And joyfully, we as a church had to fire our Foster the Bay advocate. (laughs) And just say, no more. That's not the role for you anymore. God has called you to some different things. And you're going to hear about those in just a moment. 
these are some really big vacancies. As I was driving away from the church, uh, from, from that meeting, that was Tuesday morning, that's right. As I was driving away Tuesday morning, I was driving from that place to here a few minutes, and I was praying. And you've got to know, I like comfort, people. This is not me praying this. This is just God putting this in my heart. But I prayed, I said, God, make it hard. I said, make it hard for us so that we will lean into you and find you faithful at levels that we never would find on the safety of the shores. And I show up here, and Heather's in the office. And the night before, her husband had just texted me, hey, I think we have a sibling group that might be joining us. And I had to accept her resignation as a community group leader. And if she didn't offer the resignation, I would have fired her as well. (laughs) So we keep things pretty simple here. We don't have a gazillion ministries, band worship ministry, children's ministry, community group leaders, Foster the Bay. These are just some big vacancies. And here's the message for the rest of us. There are talents and passions and giftings that now need to be raised up and activated in ministry because assignments have changed and those people are coming from this room right here. It's coming from us in this room. That's how the whole thing is going to go. We celebrate off-ramps. Let me just make it really clear. We celebrate on-ramps as well. On-ramp is when someone joins into a ministry. And we want to prepare that person. And and as church leaders, our role is to get out of the way and make a smooth path for that person to do ministry. And we're doing that all the time. But this is a season where we we pray and trust God for a lot of on-ramps. In just a moment, I want to bring the Routens up. But let me give you a very quick backstory of them. I asked them to put in bullet point form sort of their story leading up to this point. And the first bullet point was, Dave, it's really hard to put our adoption story in bullet points. Okay, So understand that time just dictates that we're going to fly through this. But first they pointed out this. You know, they were certain that God was leading us to NBC by putting us in a community that celebrates adoption, that celebrates caring for the fatherless. Even before they were utterly convinced that was for them personally, they felt God was leading them here. One of the things, too, that they said, you know, they had this desire, and I remember this conversation I had with them very, very early on in meeting them. They had this desire to take their family and do ministry together, and they loved that we did missions trips together here, that this was a place they could bring their whole family down and do some ministry together. They said that they found that odd because they're so not construction-type people, but apparently God knew that something was going on. They write this, that they began to actively toss around the idea of someday adoption several years ago. Their son Brett really began things by asking all of them to pray that God would add another soul to their family. Josh and Cheryl have been open with this, and I ask permission on everything else but this, so I hope I don't get in trouble. But they've shared from the front about this. God does not wait for you to have the perfect marriage. God doesn't wait to have you with your hands off the family and allowing God to totally lead and guide. Josh and Cheryl had their family utterly restored in some very powerful ways. And yes, Megan and Brett and Kate all benefited from that. Yes, Josh and Cheryl benefited from that. But you know what? God wasn't generous to them just so they could be more comfortable and happy as a family. God was generous to them because God had an assignment years in the future. Their family needed to get healthy. 
because God would be adding souls to their family. Don't you love that that came from little Brett? How old's Brett? Ten. Hey, family, can you start praying along these lines? You know, yearly we celebrated an orphan Sunday around here. We once had a woman came. She had a thank you card pre, pre-written. This was years ago. She drove all the way from the Central Valley, and she sought me out, and she had a pre-prepared thank you note. She said, thank you, Pastor, for being the only church I could find within all this distance that's celebrating, commemorating Orphan Sunday. Now, many, many, many churches are on board with this, but this is something that God wrote into the story here at this church a long, long time ago. Late in 2014, as a leadership, we were praying, and I really felt it was the time to take January 2015 and and do Orphan Care Month. And I went to the elders and I asked permission. I said, can we take one-twelfth of our Sundays this coming year, pour it into Orphan Care Month, and really dive into local foster care, international adoption, domestic adoption, and just some different things? And they completely gave the green light. And this was the theme that we went with, this whole idea of an umbrella, the fact that maybe we have something in our hand already, that maybe we could shield kids from something and that we could stretch and reach. We talked about this whole idea about not just caring about kids, but caring for them. Huge difference, right? You can like something on Facebook. It's different to rearrange your life to do something about it. You know, this is the story, guys, that we have as Christians. If you call yourself a Christian, this is your story. Um, Galatians, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those of us who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We talked about this big idea that far from being a shameful title, oh, you were adopted. Man, let's redeem that. Adopted means you were wanted. You were welcomed in. You were sought out after. And that's our story. That's our story as Christians. And Routens, if you would begin to make your way up, here's the question that was put out in that season. We held out this vision to say, what if Christian churches in our area and nation and world became recognized as the place where unwanted babies became beloved sons and daughters. Not just amongst Christians, but across the community, across the world. Wouldn't that give pause to a woman heading to an abortion clinic? I know there's a place that would take this child in and welcome them in like a son or daughter. And I know that because they've been doing it and showing it and proving it. It's not just lip service. Wouldn't it be powerful to put orphanage workers out of work? Because they just weren't needed. Wouldn't it be amazing if there was massive reform in the foster care system in Santa Clara County because they simply weren't needed anymore. Group homes weren't were a thing of the past. Because there's a waiting list of families who choose to do right of the children in their own community. That's the dream that we put forth. Some of what you're hearing today is this reality. You plant a seed in one season and it comes to fruition in another season. Since January of 2015, God has exploded things around this church to a place where, honestly, I'm on my knees often going, Lord, I don't know that we can keep up, so keep helping us. We know this is from you. I wanted the Routens to share in their own words um, because they were a part of... Come up on stage so we can see you well. They were a part of a group that... um, 
one of the action items out of the, the um, Orphan Care Month was a summer theologians that summer called Considering Adoption. And I want to just highlight two funny stories. I'm sitting in there, and there were a few of the usual spe- suspects, like the Shelleys, who have been trying to adopt for eight years. They weren't a shock. The Chows, who at that time were strongly considering and starting to move toward that, not a shock. In walks Heather Jackson. Here, here are Heather's words into that community group through that wall. I don't even know why I'm here. I'm never going to adopt. That's like the person who says, God, I'll never be a missionary in Africa, right? And somehow they find themselves there years later. Um, another couple that came in were the Routens, and, um, and they were a bit of a surprise to me. I wasn't, I wasn't overly shocked, but I was a little bit surprised as to why they were there, and they just shared in their bullet points to me that God used that as a part of um, sort of forming in their minds. But I want to bring you up to a couple of months after that Considering Adoption Community Group was Grace Children's Home Trip 2015. And this now had become sort of a regular drumbeat of their summer as a family to go down there. And that's where some interesting things began to take place. So share with us. Wow, it's humbling to stand up here and have to, to share this because this is quite a, an act to follow. Um, but it, it really is a work of God, and that's kind of what we discovered in this. You know, we sat, we, we had been tossing around the idea of adoption and, um, you know, definitely thought, you know, God restored our family. We're great. This is, you know, we can do this. We can take in someone always with the idea that, you know, one child younger than Kate, um, no birth parents, you know, nice, neat, clean adoption in a box that, you know, could be delivered on our doorstep and we could handle it. Um, that's great. We can do that. So kind of spent last summer praying about that. Okay, God, we're ready. We're ready. We're not, we, I understand that we're, we're never going to be totally ready. So let's, let's do this. What's it going to be? Domestic adoption, international adoption. What are we doing? Where's our pretty little box going to come from? Um, and so we went about our summer and went down to Grace Children's Home, um, last summer, just as a normal trip thinking, this is great. You know, we can stop thinking about adoption for a little while because we had ruled out a lot of those kids a long time ago. Um, they're older, their sibling sets, um, their box isn't quite as orderly. It's been banged around a lot more. Um, and once we got down there, from the very first night we were down there, um, very, very overwhelming feeling that these three kids, Francis, Isaac, and Jacob, were our kids. God was connecting us. God was working. Um, I mean, it was just, it was overwhelming. I walked around just kind of in shock the whole week. Like, the feelings for them were not something I could have fabricated. This was, God was doing something. We didn't know what he was doing. So we decided not to talk about it during the week. Let's get through the week. Let's go home. Um, devastating to leave, harder than it's ever been to leave. I mean, there were several times between Grace Children's Home and the border last year that I was just, you know, I could get out of the car and I could run back right now. You know, it's 5 o'clock in the morning and we're in Tijuana, but, you know, crazy lady running down the street, I wouldn't stand out that much, would I? Um, it, it was really difficult, and that was when we kind of began to know. So we came back and for a few weeks decided to talk about it and pray about it because this was... Three teenagers, three teenagers um, in our home with a very complicated backstory as to how we would even get them here um, w- was just not what we had prayed for. That wasn't, you know, God, really? Really? Are you really? Like, so we tried to weigh it out logically. There's no logic to it. There's no, no way logic will ever win that argument. So we really realized after a couple of weeks of talking and praying that it was exactly what Dave said in the beginning, that it's, it's following. And it's, it's not about deciding. It's really about deciding whether we're going to try to write our own story in this life or whether we're going to live the life that God's writing for us. And um, we realized at that point that, there was, that that's what we needed to do. Step out of the boat, keep our eyes on Jesus, and uh, 
So we did. We called Juan Stratton and uh, inquired, how do we start this process? Um, which we thought, great, you know, he'll give us some information. And still thinking it's going to be neat and clean and we're in control. Um, but not so much. No, not so much. Uh, maybe, maybe two or three weeks after the conversation with Juan Strutton, by the way, is the head of the Grace Children's Home, if you don't know. Um, two to three weeks after that, after that, we got a call or we heard information that the birth mother of these three children that we loved, connected with, and felt such a strong feeling for, the birth mother was suddenly found. Twelve years, no word. We step forward, and two weeks later, the birth mother's here. So not only is she involved, she wants the kids. God, where are you? And we asked that. We prayed. Where, what's our role? Why did you do? What, what is? What happened? So uh, we were devastated, uh, but we prayed. We, we, we searched, and we started setting arbitrary dates. God, if nothing happens by this date, we're going to do something. Okay, that didn't work. So we, we, that's when Foster the Base started becoming on everyone's radar. And we said, you know what, whether we get the kids or not, go that way or not, we still want to be involved in just raising kids that aren't ours, that we want to be ours. So we got involved in Foster the Bay. Um, I just want to make sure I'm covering everything I want to. But before that, we didn't completely lose hope because during this time of searching, God, what are you doing with these three kids in our lives? We went to dinner. We carved out some times for ourselves. And I got a really strong message that I had to wait. That we as a family, wait, it's not over. There's something else is going to happen. We didn't know what. It drove us a little crazy that I got this message. What do you mean wait? Uh, but it was very clear, almost like a whisper in my ear. Wait. So we did. Josh waits better than I do. Um, <laughs> it wasn't pretty. Um, and we just thought, okay, so we're going through foster care. Maybe we'll need it. Maybe they'll come into our lives. Maybe they won't. We started through the process and was meeting with Dave one day for Foster the Bay um, to talk about some things. And at the end of the conversation, he said, hey, by the way, I need to let you know about a call I got from Juan. Um, he said, you know, Juan is starting to, to think that maybe there's some, some issues going on with um, the kid's birth mom, that she isn't coming and getting them. And it's more than just the simple paperwork issues that she's talking about, that maybe she's not able to take them. And so he was thinking about maybe getting them up here and being in foster care. But he wasn't sure how we would take that because he knew we had started out wanting to adopt them and wasn't sure what we would do with foster care. And so he had decided he was going to call Dave. And then that night before he called Dave, logged on to Facebook, and that was the day that we had posted that we had started the process of foster care. So called Dave and said, hey, you know, what do you think? Would they be interested in this? And Dave said, well, they're friends. We're going to talk to them. So that started. Um, we ended up calling Juan and talking to Juan again and kind of getting back, you know, basically they're back back at us. Here it is. God's put them back and said, this is what you're waiting for. So it started a very long process. We started a relationship with their birth mother, um, which is more than I ever thought we were capable of. Um, it's been a very wild ride, but God has filled each of those conversations and each of those meetings with so much grace. I have yet to say anything that I was actually thinking, which is a beautiful gift from God, <laughs> because it's been a struggle. It's been hard, and God has filled that, and he's given us the love that we needed to share to build a really good relationship. We also went through about three months of how do we get them. They're U.S. citizens who were abandoned in Mexico, and um, getting them is not as simple as an international adoption or a domestic adoption. What do we do? We have to get them up here, but we can't just take them. That's international kidnapping. How do we get them up here? How do we get Mexican social services to release them? Nobody will take. Nobody here will help until they're here. Nobody down there will help unless you have someone up here helping you. So it became three months of 
literally stops and starts. We're going to do this, we're going to do this, and then I would talk to Juan. We began to talk on a weekly basis. We've become good friends in this process. A lot of stops and starts, a lot of stops and starts. We don't know what it's going to be. We'd find something else out, and sure enough, nope, this isn't going to work. Go back to the drawing board. I spent probably 150 hours on the phone. I've talked to the State Department. I've talked to the ombudsman for the foster care system in California. We've talked to several lawyers. I actually had one person tell me that I needed to call my senator. That's who could help me. Um, I'm not sure Barbara Boxer has a lot of weight with the Mexican Social Services Department, um, but someone apparently thought she did. It's been a pretty crazy story, and so we were kind of going into that this summer. You want to talk about going down there? I'll do it real quick, but uh, we went down for the 2016 Mexico trip, and, uh, well, we almost didn't. There was a lot of uncertainty. Is the mom going to take him? Is not. Can financially, is it prudent for us to go or not? Lawyers, fees, everything. So we made a very difficult decision not to go. We were not going to go to the 2016 trip. And I told the team leader, Jonathan, that I'm sorry our family's not going this year. We're devastated, but we can't for many different reasons. That wasn't God's plan. Two days, literally two days after that, Jonathan got back in touch with us. You guys are going. People at this church said you're going. Not only just that, well, then how can we get down there? There's all these other things. Literally, checks in the mail started showing up from Lord knows where. Money. We never asked for, never sought. Literally showed up in the mail between the week we said we're not going and the week where we're going. So we got to go. Uh, and there were the three kids, our kids. Uh, we, drive up in the, we drive up in the gate, and they're already there waiting, hugging us. They were our kids. Uh, we spent a great week. We got to spend time with them. Um, it was a good week. Uh, we set up time to Skype every Sunday. Uh, this will be our fifth Skype uh, call. Every Sunday we get to talk to the kids for at least an hour. It has to be an hour because there's another family waiting to talk right behind us, the Shelleys. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's a good hour. Um, and I think, I, I think Cheryl will just talk about what's going to happen in about one week. So yeah, it's been, like I said, a roller coaster of thinking that we could do this, um, and it's really just been in God's timing. It's really just been sitting back and following, and God's had this plan all along. Right before we went down, one of the other things that happened that was a big blessing is that the mom finally, their birth mom finally decided to just come forward and say, I can't do this. Um, I can't take them right now. We want you guys to take them. And it sort of solidified um, a process for us, and it also um, allowed the kids to be told what was going on before we went down there. So it was. It was... Um, it was, it was embracing our own kids when we went down there, and it was absolutely amazing. Now, though, it, coming back, it's just been a whirlwind. I think it's been three weeks since we came back, and uh, just getting things going as fast as we can. And so we now, at this point, think we have everything we need. Um, I met, actually physically met with their birth mom um, about two weeks ago, and her mom, their grandmother, um, and they have given us um, permission to have guardianship of them, so we have some court documents from them or legal documents from them um, that we've sent down to social services, and at this point it looks like um, they're going to accept them um, at least as readily as they're willing to. They don't like doing that. It would be cleaner for them if their birth mom would show up. Um, but it looks like we're going to be able to pick them up um, and bring them across the border. And then once we do and once we're here, um, we'll file for legal guardianship. Um, we had talked about going through foster care, but there are some back issues in their family that um, 
just would it may cause problems. So we're going to do guardianship, which is financially a much more difficult process, um, but we think is what God's calling us to and God has provided so far. So um, we are leaving next Sunday morning very early so we can be down there in the afternoon. Um, and hopefully we will meet with DEEF, which is Mexican Social Services, on Monday morning, the 29th, and turn around and head for the border as fast as we can. Um, <laughs> we are literally going to run for the border. Um, <laughs> And once we're across, you know, then we know we just come on with them, and, and we will still have, unlike many adoptions, it won't be done. There'll be Everything will still be in front of us. Um, but, you know, that's the story God's written so far for us, and we've learned that it really is just following along um, and continuing to keep our eyes on him as we walk across water, that there's no way we could be walking across on our own. Um, and it, just to kind of close it out before I give it back to you, one of the biggest things that's kind of impressed upon me when you asked us to say something is, I know what it is to be sitting and watching and hearing all of this and thinking, okay, what's God going to do in my life? Um, when, when do I get something big? Um, first of all, be careful what you pray for because <laughs> it may not be a neat little box. It's three teenagers and a birth mom and all kinds of stuff. Um, but it's, I can truly say in my life that I know what it is to be brought low and I know what it is to live in true abundance. Um, and we have the six most beautiful children on the planet, and we're blessed. But it is not in them that we find our contentment. It really is in Jesus and in living the story that Jesus Christ is putting before us. Um, that's where our contentment is. So whatever the story is, it really is in him. Awesome. Thanks, you guys. Yeah. Listen, let me invite the band to come on up right now. I'm going to pray over them, and uh, just by extension, just many of their stories um, that, are, that are here. So let's pray. God, I lift up the routes to you very specifically. God, a week from today, they will be in a car driving, and we pray that you would go before every step of the way. We know that you're already working in Mexico um, and here, and you've called them to this path, and you'll give them what they need when they need it. I pray for a deep sense of trust. God, help us as a church to be fighting alongside with them spiritually. God, we pray for all these stories that have been held up today. We think of the Shelleys who Skype every single week as well. And, um, Lord, we, we long for a reunion um, in that family as well. God, I lift up all these families that have stepped forward and, um, and are just blessed, God, the mutual blessing of a child receiving a home and, um, and a home receiving a child. God, we just thank you for that. We celebrate that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Uh, listen, we're going to... We're going to sing a song right now, and I, I want to just move forward with our service. Uh, we're supposed to be done in one minute. Remember when I said that we just leave it open to the Holy Spirit's working? We're going to do things like they do in Africa. In Africa, they don't have one minute left in a service. They just keep going until it's over. If you need to leave, please slip out and don't, and don't bother yourself with feeling weird about that. But we're going to celebrate communion here in just a minute, but I want to get to this song. I, this song came up as a great song, as a follow-out to what the Routens just shared. Uh, this song ministered deeply to my soul Sunday after Sunday that we would sing it. And these are two of the lines that, that would wash over me as we sat in some similar places where deep fear would, would seize my heart and mind, wondering, is this the right thing? Can we do this? Where are we going to even put these kids in our home? All that kind of stuff. Let me give you two lines that were meaningful to me as we lead into the song. Your grace abounds in deepest water. And another one that just moved me on a regular, ongoing basis was this. It's a prayer. And it has to do with what we started with, and it's this. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. So I want to sing this song, 
and move forward with the rest of our service. And again, we're just going late today. We'll have to all deal with it.